Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. My name is Brooke. I am here with Andrea and Emily. We have a special guest this week. Hello. Hi, everyone. So um, we're really excited to have Emily on. And I am just super excited to hear her story. I'll let you introduce yourself, Emily. Hi. So I'm Emily. I'm 25. I was diagnosed at nine months old because I just wouldn't settle. And then that, that was the what's the word they've from the not settling they found that i had constant urine infections and i had the classic kidney problems um and then i had a blood test so yeah i had to have a pilo pyloplasty when i was about a year old um very it's very like in-depth and complicated but it's just basically an operation on your kidney wow normally you hear about heart stuff at birth but mm -hmm. yeah that you kind of the first thing you thought was kidney stuff yeah yeah basically because with the short fourth toe as well um because i have a short fourth toe and because you're a baby all your toes are short so you don't see the difference and like because you're a baby all your limbs are short so you don't see the difference either so it is quite tricky to see it from just those aspects because you're just small already because you're a baby the kidney operation was it one was there any lasting effects from that like anything you deal with from it for today no no i have a scar from where it was um but no no lasting effects which is good and it seemed to it really helped me to settle um yeah it just really helped me to settle and then i was eating and all of that and just thriving after so for those listening you probably can tell when she speaks but she is from the uk Yes. And I would just love to hear how you've experienced having Turner's in the UK. I, I don't actually know that much about the hospital system in the UK. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have an NHS system, which is incredible. It, it basically, there's no discrimination, no nothing anyone and everyone can get free healthcare, um, which is phenomenal. We are so lucky with that. Um, so that's the start. And then in the UK, they have several different specialist tennis clinics. So they have, I don't know, I can't remember where exactly, but I know they have one in London. Um, and they have them all over the UK anyway. But then they also have the UK Society, which is amazing. That's the first protocol that I would say for anyone to go to, because it just, any single question, like the most, what you might think is a stupid question, 
No, it's not. It's not for them. And you might think that they've heard it a million times before, but they're going to give you the answer like it's the first time that they've given it, which is really, really nice. And it's just, it's so nice. They have an amazing website. And it's so nice just to have all of the information, all of the correct information in one place. So you don't have to go to different places and remember to go to different websites and write them down. It's just really, really nice. Yeah, that's really helpful, especially because it helps you be able to not have to navigate the black hole that can be Googling Turner syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one of the main things that Arlene, the CEO, um, of the society one of her main things is she wants to get rid of the misinformation because there is a lot and when you newly diagnosed reading misinformation what you don't know is misinformation it is scary yeah well yeah especially for a condition that's not super well known yeah exactly um I would say probably the biggest thing I'm always curious about is how your experience with doctors and their knowledge and understanding of Turner's has been. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not actually sure how well known and like up on stuff most of the doctors in the UK are. Mm -hmm. So I would say we have very very good doctors who are knowledgeable on it and they're just they're teaching younger people spreading the word and it's they're really really good um there's this one person professor conway who i call is like the male version of arlene who's the ceo of the uk society because he's just so knowledgeable he's set up a lot of practices dedicated to turner syndrome and he's dedicated his life and his just research to turner syndrome and to try and make more information more readily available for people so our doctors are really good at it of course there are improvements but there's always improvements that could be made with anything. With anything, like, I don't know. We just never be satisfied as humans. Like, there's always something to go bigger and better. But our doctors are incredible with the knowledge. And one thing that they're really, really good at, they're really good at listening to the society because they know that they have like first-hand experience because they have like hands-on experience with the actual members with people who are dealing with it so they really listen to them which is really great yeah that's super important that's awesome i think that's probably if you can have doctors working with those that are actively working with the patients and you know, taking a dedicated time. I completely get not every doctor is going to have the time 
it would take to be that yeah. knowledgeable on Turner's. But if they're willing to work with those who are dedicating that time and willing to listen to those and the patients, it just makes such a difference. Yeah, exactly. Because there are, there are so many things for doctors to know. So many things. So in Turner's is... It's a not well-known thing, so why why would they know? But once they do, they're like they're really hands-on with the knowledge yeah. and trying to spread it and everything. And that's so awesome that there's clinics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Andrea has had some experience with specific, like just for Turner's clinics too, where she is, and I'm so amazed by that i wish there was one near me yeah oh. it's so cool it's not solely turners but a lot of it is turners if that makes sense so it's like part of the endocrinology clinic okay so it's not solely solely turners but there are a lot of turners ladies that go there girls and women with turners that go there that's nice because then you know that those doctors and everybody working there have experience working with yeah exactly turners. exactly which is another aspect of it i can always tell when one of the specialists i'm working with is not like it's one of my first questions have you had a turner's patient before and mm -hmm. I can always tell when they haven't worked with someone with terminals before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. You can just tell, can you? Because if they're like interested and engaged and asking like more questions than they're clinically meant to, then you know you're in the right place if they're genuinely interested. And yeah, we have a we have an adult um, clinic and a um, pediatric clinic in Kansas City. So I live in the Kansas City area. And so Kansas City borders Missouri and Kansas. Um, oh. Yes. And we had a children's one. And the ladies here, we kept pushing for a similar model for adults because sometimes there's just different needs than the kids might have um, <clears throat> and it's nice to be able to go to one place and have the tests that you need to have done talk to the doctors and not have to go everywhere mm -hmm. to do that or have multiple appointments and so within the last couple of years we started that model Hopefully that's something that will continue to grow and be duplicated so that they can do that in other states. Um, but it's, it's very helpful. And we have a, a good um, heart clinic where it's out of. Um, so we have uh, some good cardiologists that are a part of it. And I think it's really helpful when you can go there and you know that one, they're doctors who genuinely care and they take an interest and they're trying to learn. Not all of them are um, very knowledgeable, but they're learning and they want to learn. 
And mm-hmm. so um, I appreciate that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I've, I found that very helpful. So. Yeah, I think it's so cool. It's, I think part of the reason I want to go to a convention so much too is because I feel like it could be a similar experience of like, you're kind of just seeing all the specialists and, and soaking in all of the knowledge from those that are studying it Mm, (laughs) and like closely involved in it. And it's so important for them to work together. Yeah. Because I have an endocrinologist and a cardiologist and like fair enough one person has specialist in one area one has another another specialist in another area so it's really important that they work together because they like vice versa they might not know certain information that could affect it yeah oh yeah and i think another part of that is knowing like it's not just oh i'm a specialist i know that area mm-hmm. but also knowing that area within the context of turners yeah exactly because that can be a different take on it can't it yeah i mean something in a non-turners patient that pops up that might not be as big of a red flag for somebody else could be something that we actually, that's a huge red flag for us. And there's something serious going on if that happens with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think it's just so encouraging to see. And it I'm noticing it's growing more and more in like, well, I'm most up to date on the US, but I've seen it grow in other countries as well. Yeah that just i get so excited um so what would you say is the biggest way turners has impacted your life i mean i know the surgery as a baby is huge but what would you say is the biggest way now now um i have a few things it's either the infertility the heart because i have aortic dilatation or just like an everyday thing just hearing hearing loss because I have mild hearing loss um, so it depends like which avenue but if it's an everyday thing it's probably the hearing loss because it's just it's, really. yeah it's it's such a minor thing but it makes a big difference yeah I just okay. got hearing aids in October I think mm-hmm. and it's oh gosh it makes such a big difference Mm-hmm. See, you don't I, notice it until it's there and then you're like yeah. oh yeah no that was probably worse than I even realized so I have hearing aids but I don't like to wear them because it amplifies all the sound not just the speech yes like if I had a million dollars I would um, try and invent a hearing aid that would just impact the speech because <laughs> everything is amplified and I don't know if it's because the first day I came out with my new hearing aids on I was on a busy street in London <laughs> and a police car on, or an ambulance went past one of the two with their siren on and oh my god oh. that was the first day 
So I don't know if it's because of that, but I just hate the whole amplification of everything. If it was just the speech, that would be the best of both worlds. Yes. Yeah, because the speech, the speaking is what, for me, I actually notice. Mm. Like, I didn't think I was not hearing people as well as I wasn't until I got the hearing aids and went, oh gosh, it was worse than I thought. When I was younger, um, my mom said, like she told me recently-ish, one day, like my hearing does fluctuate, sometimes it's better than others. And one day I just, I heard the toaster for the first time and I said to my mom, what is that? Like I was in the other room. I don't remember this. She's just told me this. And I said, what is that? And then she said, have you not heard this before? It's a toaster or something along those lines. And it's just, it's the everyday little things, isn't it? Like just hearing a toaster. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's, and getting mine kind of made me start thinking of, oh, maybe I do need to like pay more attention to it mm. if I'm needing this much help with it. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's something you don't realize until you like maybe you have hearing aids. You don't realize how bad it was. Yeah. Definitely the first time I put them on, I had a similar experience where it was like, whoa, it's loud. Mm, it's just sensory overload, isn't it? Yeah. It feels like like your ears popped, like the pressure popped, and all of a sudden you can hear again, and you're like, ooh, I hear everything. So I'm wondering, what's your experience been with um, HRT? I don't know if there's any... Like different recommendations over in the UK or how the doctors like to handle that or what's your experience been? So uh, my experience with HRT, so I was on estrogen and then the pill and then the HRT. So like one aspect of this story I really want to get across is don't be scared to speak to your doctor. I wouldn't say challenge your doctor because the word challenge that makes it seem like you're in a confrontation and it doesn't need to be like that but make sure you like speak to your doctor if your tablets are not working for you because when i was on the pill they were just not working for me my hormones were everywhere i was really angry all of the time and then i went on to hrt and it's actually no sorry so I was on a higher dose than I am now of this HRT, of the same tablet, and I was really angry. So I got put on a lower one, which is much better. I think your body just needs to get introduced to it, maybe. Um, so don't be scared to ask your doctor. But my experience of it is really good. I don't, I'm really lucky. I don't have cramps or I don't have anything of that sort really I just have the regular bleed every month and that's fine um, in the UK there is not always but there is quite a well-known shortage of HRT which is quite a concern 
for obviously women and girls who need to take it um but for me personally that hasn't been an issue which i'm lucky i'm fortunate about because just if i had like changing tablets i don't i don't know what they would do but if you had to change your tablets and you wouldn't know what you were doing i don't know so i'm really lucky it hasn't affected me in that way if the hrt shortage wow yeah i hadn't heard about something like that that is very i i would be nervous too because mm. yeah even even within taking what can be called the same thing yeah if the formula switches on you you don't know what the change might be mm -hmm. and it might just be such an insignificant shift that yeah. makes the biggest impact yeah yeah i was i had that experience on um my generic birth control i was on for hrt for a while because it was still a generic birth control but it was very different formulas and it 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 affected yeah. me very differently hmm. and it's really tricky isn't it because you have to give your body time for it to be in your system properly and then see how it goes but it is really tricky you mentioned aortic dilation is that mm -hmm. something that currently they're just monitoring you for yeah so mine seems to be quite stable at the minute because i've only recently been diagnosed with it in the last three years i'd say so i've had two mri scans and they've both been the same like exactly the same dimensions um so it hasn't changed so i'm not having to have that for another two years so i'm just gonna have regular ecgs when i say regular like yearly ecgs um so i'm really lucky about that it seems to be from what i've heard it seems to be quite a slow growth thing dilatation of the aorta i could be wrong but from what i've heard it seems to be quite a slow growth i definitely think it can be um, yeah or it can go the other way and it can go really really quickly yeah i think but then you have the added dimension of where they check was yeah. it like how far along was it before it got to that point so it's, yeah like there's so many different factors yeah like how quickly it got to there before mm -hmm. they checked it and saw it yeah. yeah i think i think it can be a slow thing like um they keep it, i've always even though i don't have currently have any heart concerns I am very, very adamant about staying on top of watching it just to make sure mm. that doesn't change. Yeah. I know it can. And they've never seen any signs of anything starting, but they have me kind of on a regular, you know, I get echoes every year or every other year. Um, I've had a few cardiac MRIs and mm. what I think the biggest concern can be is if there's a start like if you see the dilation starting there's other stressors that can happen that could speed up that process mm. yeah like 
stress on the body could make that quicken so that it starts dilating faster. That's my interpretation of what I've heard. Andrea might actually have more understanding too, because I think she has had more experience with that than I have. And there was that in in that convention where you had the MRI or the echo, wasn't there some kind of, um, I feel like there was some kind of information or explanation you got of some of it. So I, I didn't know I had any, um, kind of a, a heart defect until probably 2013. And I went to my first, um, Turner syndrome convention in Dallas. Um, and while I was there, I had never had an echo done, never had an MRI done, uh, none of that. And so I thought <clears throat> it can't hurt to go ahead and get one done because it was being provided for free. And I thought I would just get one done. And so when I did, they discovered that I had, I actually had two and they found one and they discovered um, a dilation in my aorta and in my descending aorta is kind of, kind of in the middle almost, but it's in my, close to the lower part of my aorta. And they said the dilation, um, well, I had to come back to Kansas City and find a cardiologist and, and all of that. And so finally, once I did all that, they told me that right now I just need to be monitored. So I was thankful because I didn't know if I was looking at having to have like an open heart surgery or something or a stent put in or what. And they did an MRI and that's when they found the other one because I have a slight enlargement on, um, I think it's my right right subclavian artery. It is slightly uh, enlarged and it kind of pushes a little bit on my esophagus. And so I have to check that for dilation. But he said, because nothing, well, my cardiologist, and I'm just speaking for what he said, what he told me, and I don't know if this is the case, because things can change it, but he felt like, as an adult, because I probably had this since birth, and it just slowly um, started to dilate. And um, so he figured I, I had that for a while. And if I hadn't had a dissection and, you know, I am well into being an adult and haven't experienced any issues, he didn't see that it was going to get much larger. However, depending on how you take care of yourself, things that you eat, stressors, environment, things like that, could maybe have an impact and and there's a possibility there could be some enlargement um so i had to get mine like a echo done every two years or every other year uh just to make sure and so that's that's what i understood he felt like 
I should be monitored, but he didn't see that it was going to be probably where I was going to need any kind of medical intervention. But he wants to keep on top of it in case, and most likely um, they would just need to do like a cardi uh, or a catheter just procedure and place a stent. Which of the two options, if I had to have something done, I'm going for stent, but. Yeah. That's so interesting that you said that about the exercise and the food. Like, mm. I just want to say for any of my listeners listening, the UK and the US, they can like differ in information. Like, it's not concrete information any mm. anywhere in the world that you go. Um, so my cardiologist said to me, that exercise exercise could make it worse like if you did heavy weights because you put a strain in your heart and the high blood pressure but the actual food that won't change because you're not going to change the makeup of your heart by what you eat like of course people should eat healthily be a healthy weight try to be in all aspects of like their health but in aspects of my heart she said food won't change it that much really so that's really interesting um it just goes to show like how information can differ yeah depending on where you are yeah. yeah i'd say it's probably there's also some element of and this is i mean this is a reminder to like this is a reminder for me as i'm listening to you guys talk and hopefully probably to everybody listening to this episode that those little ways of taking care of ourselves don't just in general doing the things that we know are good for our health but also like specifically if we're worried about cardiac health mm -hmm. are good what we know is good for heart health all of that is going to contribute in some fashion even just as a broader picture to how our heart is able to function and the overall general health of mm -hmm. our heart. Yeah. yeah. And I guess to some extent, that's something I don't like, I'm very convicted of. Like, I don't feel like I maybe pay attention to it the best I could. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly not with exercise, but, um, yeah, I think it's just, I I mean, so much of Turner's can feel so out of our control. And so those little ways that I'm like, well, I can do something in this way. And, you know, whether it's I'm getting the screenings I can, like I'm, I'm monitoring it as close as I can. Um, is that that little comfort or knowing that I'm doing anything I can to take the best care of myself I can. That can be stressful too, though, <laughs> yeah. when you're trying so hard and it just feels like a second full-time job. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's not counterintuitive, I would say, but it's really tricky finding that balance because weight training exercise helps reduce osteoporosis 
but then if you go too heavy that could like strain your heart if you do have a heart issue yeah. so it's really tricky to find that balance yeah um, so what i do is taekwondo mm -hmm. and uh, i'm a black belt in taekwondo and so we do strength but it's not like so we do we do some strength training but it's not exactly like with traditional weights and things like that in class um but you get a really good cardiac or cardio workout um mm. during that so for me that's the type of exercise i like to get because it really challenges my cardiac um strength and all of that yeah. but i find that and this is just not necessarily medical advice um it's just personal advice but it's coming just from perspective from perspective of my experience i just think like when you, when you're looking at exercise and things like that too. We're not all cookie cutter and it just depends too on the situation because you wanna be mindful. And if you have cardiac issues, you wanna be mindful. Um, and so for some, the weights and that may not be a good idea. Um, and there's like other forms of exercise or activity that are low impact, that aren't as stress inducing, but do help sort of maybe overall like physically keep you active and maybe give you a little bit of cardiac mm -hmm. um, exercise. Um, but Taekwondo is where I get mine from. And fortunately, not been an issue. I, I think the key when it comes to cardiac and helping to maintain, and this is just my thought, helping to maintain, um, keeping your heart in good health the key, especially just like with dilation and not trying to have any, I think is is blood pressure. Yeah, I think that's the big key is blood pressure. Because if, if you're struggling with high blood pressure, then I think that's where there's going to be a potential for there to be damage to your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what my cardiologist said to me as well. Because I asked her, because I love the gym, I like weight training. And I said, what is it about weight training? Because I wanted to know exactly. I'm the type of person, if I know everything, then that just makes me feel better. I'm very, I need to know. Um, so she just said the high blood pressure, like running, your blood pressure can go up, but then it like gradually falls down. But big with big weights your blood pressure goes up and stays up i think by the way i'm not a medical expert <laughs> so please like research please but that's what i think she said to me i could be wrong but yeah so i think you're definitely right there with the high blood pressure that makes sense and Yes, caveat to everybody listening. We're just sharing our personal stories and experiences and what we've been told by our doctors. So check with your doctor, talk with your doctor, do your own research. We're just sharing 
what works for us, what we've learned and experienced. So this is not any type of official medical advice. <laughs> and every single person is so different. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So different. Yes. I And I think that's something that I've really learned as well is how different everybody is with mm -hmm. this. You know, we have the same condition, but it drastically affects our lives in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the blood pressure thing does make sense, though, because I believe that is part of the concern with going through pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so. Because you're, uh, you're at more risk. Yes, I think part of that concern comes from the higher blood pressure mm. that can happen during pregnancy, which is a totally normal part of pregnancy. I mean, you have, I can't remember how much, but a woman that's pregnant has like twice as much blood in her body at once as normal or something like that. So it's going to raise your blood pressure. And so there, I, I that makes total sense in my head for why that would be a part of the concern because that would connect to that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they have to monitor you so carefully if you yeah. are pregnant and do have tinnitus, because that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's, I mean, they do all the monitoring before just to make sure like, um, they would do heart scans and MRIs and everything beforehand yeah. to make sure of if they felt like you were in a good position to go through pregnancy. Yeah. But even after they would keep monitoring because that doesn't mean the situation can't change while you're pregnant. It just means you're not at a dangerous at this point risk of mm -hmm. it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said the other thing that you felt like was probably the other biggest way was infertility. Um, mm -hmm. if you would feel comfortable or would like, um, did you want to share some of what that journey has been like for you? Okay. Um, so when I was little, my, I used to play with some, like, plastic dolls just barbie no not barbie dolls but i used to play with baby dolls um when i was little and then i i don't know why i can't remember this again my mom has told me but she said i said to her can i have a baby and she said yeah with a special doctor so and i think this is why it's so good to have such a man diagnosis if you're fortunate because things get ingrained in the back of your mind you might not understand it like i didn't understand infertility at that age because i was about three or four probably um so yeah and then we went to we were actually perfect timing we went to conference once because the uk have a big weekend conference once a year um and then my mom told me the full extent of the infertility as in like what it meant for me 
I cried, obviously. And then it was fine. And then recently someone posted a pregnancy photo. Um, a well-known person, like not a friend, not a family member. And I cried again. I thought I wouldn't have that. I will never have a pregnancy photo where I'm pregnant and I have a pregnancy bump. I don't know, it's, for me, it's odd because my mum has made the realisation. It's always the people who are like closest to you, but like you can see it from the outside. She says that the pregnancy is more upsetting to me than the actual baby. And to me that makes sense because you can adopt, you can get, you can adopt, you can have a baby, but you can never be pregnant, really. I mean, obviously there are exceptions within anything and that like includes Turner's as well. Like there will be people with Turner's syndrome that can get pregnant naturally. Um, but yeah, the, to me that just made sense why it was more the pregnancy rather than the actual child that made me upset. Yeah, I I totally understand and relate. I've had those moments too, and even after, because it's a grieving process. You're grieving a loss, really that is not something that somebody not going through it might fully understand but that is exactly what you're doing because you're grieving the loss of an experience that you kind of started out expecting mm -hmm. and... i've always i've always said it's i don't know if i want children i don't know if i want children in the future but it's about that choice. It's about that choice being taken away yeah. from me that has, I think that's the most difficult part for me anyway. Cause like I said, I don't know if I want children, maybe, maybe not, but it was about that choice being taken away. Why I was like thinking about it so much, why it was playing on my mind, why I was getting upset yeah well and in yeah i totally i understand the grieving the experience not the having a child but the experience yeah. is leading up to having a child because mm -hmm. that's what's really in question yeah exactly is ever having those experiences and we don't have a great chance of it there are ways but there are some obstacles in front of those ways because those ways aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yes, I, I had, I, and no matter how much you've gone through the grieving process, there's still some element of that. I don't want to discourage you or anything, but I feel like it's going to be a lifelong, I'm always going to have to process these emotions to some oh, extent. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, I think so. Because, like, if I, I don't want to sound like depressing or anything, 
but like like you said that's just made me think definitely because even when you're 50 you're 60 your friends are having grandchildren yeah it's probably still gonna come up then but i don't i really, I really don't want this to sound like a sorry for me pity for me depressing oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well i think because i i myself and andrea can attest to this i'm almost a too much of a silver lining person too much of a let's find the positive we'll flip mm -hmm. this and find the positive and so there you always do need the reminder that it is okay to just let yourself yeah feel just those be. feelings and feel mm -hmm. sad about it mm -hmm. it is okay you don't have to in that moment go but i need to be grateful for this that and the other mm -hmm. yes that's a good approach to it but you're also allowed to have some time of i'm just really sad about this right now yeah like people don't say stop being happy yeah, so no. why do we say stop being sad like i'm not saying you should be sad all of the time but i think it just helps process your emotions yeah so i have a be. yeah um, so I have a friend of mine that um, <clears throat> when, and, and this is a friend of mine who doesn't have Turner's, um, but I have a friend that, you know, she's like, well, why don't you just adopt? And it's, it's not like I, I haven't considered that and still don't consider that because um, it's very much an option. It is probably the option that I have. And you know, but it's easier said than done. There's different, you know, obstacles and challenges that come with that. And especially, you know, right now, it's just me. And if I choose to adopt, I'm becoming a single parent. And that comes with a set of obstacles and challenges that I have to figure out and navigate through. But at the same time, I feel like when she says that, it really takes away from almost, I guess, feeling the validity of, I don't get to have a child or bring a child into this world. I don't get that experience like you were describing. I'm like, I can, I can have a baby, I can adopt, but I don't get that experience of being able to carry a child and be pregnant and have those moments in that experience. And I'm like, there's times where it's just, it, I have to kind of grieve that. And it's like, let me be able to do that. And not, because when she's like, oh, well, you could just adopt. It feels like it kind of takes away from that. Oh, I guess I should, I can't be upset about this. I need to be grateful because I can adopt. There's a great, um there's a great thing that was said on a podcast and it said change again this is like feel how you need to feel feel sad if you need to but once you're there this is a great thing change the word can't to i get to which is such a little shift but it makes so much difference and it's really helped me i can't have a child I get to adopt. Yeah. 
that kind of thing. It, it makes a lot of difference. You wouldn't think it does, but it does. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. it helps kind of shift the perspective of your mind off to mm-hmm. off from something that's more negative to looking at it positively. And I think you can still be sad about yeah. one part, but still be excited and grateful, you know, about another part that I still can adopt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's some level of healing that comes from like, at least in my story, <laughs> um, when me and my husband first started talking about options, because from the very start, I was upfront about, I didn't know what that looked like for me. I didn't know how my side of that was going to function. And so it was kind of a consistent conversation. And then when we got married, it became more of a serious conversation because we had to kind of navigate making those decisions. And there was a massive mental approach shift for me when I was like, I could grieve pregnancy all day or I could allow myself to take the the what feels like an emotional risk of being really excited about adopting and embracing that and letting myself be happy about that yeah and mentally for your mental health it made a massive difference for mine it was just I think I don't know I think it's something about control as well like you feeling in control that you can change the narrative, change your perception on it from the can't to the get means you can have a little bit of control about the infertility. Yeah, you don't feel like all of the situation is, you know, that you have no options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no option or no control. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and sharing. It was amazing getting to talk with you. I've really, really loved it. I've really loved meeting you guys. Thank you. Well, it's been fun, and I'm glad that we could meet you. And we um, really enjoyed getting to hear your story. Yeah. Thank you so much, and have a great evening. I know it's later there for you so have a great time no don't worry i'm happy to meet with you guys happy to i love talking about tennis yeah well thank you again and this was great it was wonderful hearing your story um we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing thank you so much thank you for the platform that you guys have given because it's just so great Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm glad that we could do this. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to our chat with Emily. Yes. And if you have any thoughts or questions on our conversation with Emily or for Emily, uh, let us know. Yeah. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It'll be linked in the episode notes. And we hope you guys have a great rest of your day whenever you're listening to this. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.